some of us struggle to figure out whether or not we really are alcoholic. And it would just be so convenient if that was like, well, your parents are alcoholics, so you're alcoholic too. But that's like not the truth, right? There are plenty of people out there who have alcoholic parents who have a totally normal relationship with alcohol. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, 2020 is your year. Have you been dreaming of starting your own podcast? If you have, then this is the year to make it happen. Maybe it's an idea or something that you're really good at or something that you want to learn more about. Our friends Krista and Lindsay from the Almost 30 podcast just released the new Podcast Pro program to help you launch, market, and monetize the podcast of your dreams. Krista and Lindsay started Almost 30 in their closet floor while working full-time jobs in just three years. They turned it into a top-rated podcast with millions and millions of downloads worldwide. They've created such an incredibly supportive community. And in Podcast Pro, they're sharing exactly how they did it and all the secrets they learned along the way. You can sign up now at yourpodcastpro.com to launch your dream podcast. You can also find more information by clicking the info button of this particular podcast and check out the link there. And now back to our show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Radically Loved Radio. I am so excited to introduce my next guest. I've been uh, stalkering her for a really long time. Oh, no, I haven't. Um, I haven't been stalkering her. I've been working with her for the last, I don't, it feels like it's been a year. I don't think it's been quite a year yet, but yeah, has it? No, I was thinking like maybe six, I was thinking six months, but it might be more close to a year. Oh. Hmm. All right. Anyway, I'm really excited to have Heidi on the show because she is truly somebody who's inspiring not only me right now, but a lot of people in her life. And I, she just wrote a book that I think is so apropos to topics we've been talking about on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. And I am so excited to talk to her about her book and to just get to know her a little bit more on the podcast, introduce her to you guys, uh, just because I think she's somebody that you guys need to know. So Heidi, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be on the show and to be chatting with you. I just feel like part of the reason I think it's hard for us to tell how long we've been working together is that the universe just delivered you to me in this way. That's like, yeah. kind of feels like I've been working with you forever. And it's been yeah. so the work that you and I have been doing has been like, so profoundly important to me that I just feel like you've been around like as long as I can remember. Oh, I feel like you, I mean, I've been working with a lot of people for a long time and I feel like you're part of that. Like you're in that, that group of people. Like I've just known you for so long, which is always great to meet people. And you know, 
the people that are listening, you know, when you meet people like that in your life, I think people can really resonate with that. There's a feeling of familiarity or there's sort of a karmatic bond that happens Mm -hmm. where you know that certain people are supposed to be in your life for a certain reason and Mm -hmm. you have to open that conduit. So Heidi, why don't we tell the listeners who you are? Why don't you introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about you and tell us the name of your book, which is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm Heidi Bushy. I am a speaker, author, and relationship expert. Uh, my first book is Relationship Ready, How I Stopped Fucking Randos and Started Cupcaking My Soulmate. <laughs> it's a really long title. I went back and forth for a long time about the length of the title, but it's important because it's really my truth. You know, yeah. um, Basically, it talks about um, how I bottomed out with men in relationships uh, at a couple of years sober, no less. And um, had to do some work around identifying these painful patterns that I kept kind of acting out in my life over and over again. You know, I mean, kind of like a more casual way to say that is like, you know, I'm that girl that like when I was dating every single time I started dating a guy six months later, I'd be like hitting my head against the wall. Like, how did I do this again? Like, how am I dating the same guy again? That's like not available. That's like a loser. That's whatever, you know, it's like, How am I doing this again? So uh, I had the opportunity to do some work around that stuff. And when I finished it, I thought like, this is really valuable. It completely transformed my perspective on men and relationships. And it allowed me to find a sustainable relationship with the the man who's my soulmate, you know, and he's my husband now. Um, And I felt like there are other people in the world that really could probably use access to this information and like the tools that I used to change my perspective. And so I decided to write a book about it and there it is. Yeah. And it's an incredible book and I I find it so uh, relative to the time now of people out there dating and even with all the help that we have from dating apps, you know, to it, it, that doesn't, (sighs) that doesn't remedy patterning that we may have over choosing a certain type of person, a certain type of partner, like to fall onto the same routines or habits that we have that don't serve our highest good. So I, I, yeah. really wanna, I want to talk I, about that. I agree. I mean, I just want to slip in there that I think it's so you're right. Even though dating apps make it easier for us to connect with people or it's like grab a coffee with someone or grab a drink or whatever, it's just still at the, at the end of the day, like the bottom line for me was I always struggled to honor what was true for me. I always struggled Mm. to really like acknowledge like what behavior was true for me, what was really authentic for me. And so dating apps can make that even harder because we just get like sucked into the frenzy of all the attention, all the chaos and all the excitement. And it makes it really challenging. I think to honor what your deep truth is about who you are and how you show up in relationships and what your expectation is for a partner to show up in relationship to you. Yeah. And I think part of what I find one of the, the most difficult thing to, to do when you're in that process is to realize what your role is in mm-hmm. that. Right. So, yeah. which I find it again, so, um, relatable how you wrote about your own process and being able to come to a space where you started to realize what your faults were and what you were looking for and how this wasn't working and how it was the same person you were dating (laughs) and all that. So I think just to kind of give that a little bit more of a framework Mm -hmm. for you when you were in that process, how did you know that you were not serving your highest good when it came to dating people? 
Oh, that is such a good question. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's that I eventually always found myself in a really dark place um, around men and relationships that I always, you know, one of the, I guess the best example of this, first of all, I just want to say like all my shit's on blast in this book. If you go pick this book up, you will get to hear it's like half memoir and half how to. And like, I really put all of it out there just so that you can like, so that whoever's reading it can know, like, listen, I've been through some things myself, you know, and like, I don't have any judgment for anyone really doing whatever they want, you know, like for a long time, sleeping with strangers and fucking randos felt good for me. And then eventually it didn't. And once it didn't, I didn't know how to do anything differently. But, um, like for one of the best examples of a way that I was able to realize I wasn't serving my highest good was that I, I have been married before. And so in my first marriage to my ex-husband, I write about this in the book. It started off like, you know, I compromised a little bit of myself here and there in order to just kind of like go with the flow and kind of get in where I fit in. Um, but eventually towards the end of my marriage with him, I felt like I was suffocating because I was always like walking on eggshells and I was always pushing everything down and I never wanted to rock the boat. And I was unwilling to even test the resilience of my relationship with him by being honest with him about how I was feeling or what was going on. And so, and in the very last days of that relationship, I mean, I just, I, felt like I was suffocating. It's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I probably wouldn't have had the language to say like, this isn't serving my highest good, but I just knew how awful it felt. It felt to feel like I was drowning. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's one of the hardest things that we encounter, especially as women, because we're so used to pushing down feelings mm. like that because we're in a society where you, you know, we have to take a lot of shit all the time and we're <laughs> sort of conditioned to not speak up and not yeah. really say because maybe we feel like that one day, but then the next day, if things are going well, you might not feel that. But then oh. the following, do you see what I'm saying? It's oh my gosh, the pattern. So for yeah, you. the constant second guessing, the yes. constant second, I'm overreacting. It's not really that bad. And look, like I was young the first time I got married. I was 24 when I got married, which looking, you know, I'm almost 40 now. And looking back on that, I'm like, oh my God, no one should get married when they're 24. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so young. You have any, you know, do whatever you want, but like, it's so young. I was way too young to be getting married at 24. And, um, and I, but in the moment, but like in the moment you, you thought you knew Every, totally. Like you thought you knew everything, right? You, yeah. you had it figured out. So of course, and, and what all my that... friends were getting married and everyone was doing that. And like on the surface, like it looked like a pretty good gig. Like I found this guy, he was, um, Irish, which was like, you know, culture, like, Oh, that's sexy. He's got a cute accent. Oh, whatever. He had a great job. We had, a, we ended up buying a house. We had cars. In the, like we had all the trappings of what was supposed to look like a great marriage. And so every time I found myself dying a little bit more, suffocating a little bit more, like I would look around our house and go, Oh, but we have a home and we have these cars and we go to Europe on vacation. Like I don't have the right to feel this way or, Oh, and he doesn't beat me. Oh, and he, you know, he didn't hit me. So it's like, Oh, so I had all these rationalizations and all these ways to like talk myself out of honoring my truth, which was that like, we weren't a good match from the start. Yeah. And that's a hard that's a hard realization to come to when you're in the midst of an abusive, not even abusive relationship, mm -hmm. but like an emotionally unsatisfying right. relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that part of what 
always draws me to having these conversations. And, and that's why I love that you wrote a book about it is because I feel like at the end of the day, the bottom line is us not really knowing what our value is mm. and what we actually want in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea. I just listen, like, I didn't have, I don't know. I didn't have great relationship role models growing up. Like I had a family where we talked news, weather, and sports, and that was it. And if somebody like got mad about something, they threw a little like temper tantrum about it and like ran away and like left the room. And then everyone pretended it didn't happen. So like, I do not personally come from a, like, this is not true for everyone, but for me, it's like, I don't come from a place where I know how to like express where I like automatically know how to express what I'm feeling and trust that the relationship that I'm in is resilient to that discussion and can, and that my partner can hold space for me to actually have discussion and be curious about our feelings together. Like I come from a place where it's like, Oh my God, if I say this, the whole thing's over, you know, and I've had to do a lot of work to like, I've had to do years of work to come to a different perspective on that. But at 24, I had no idea exactly what you're saying. Like, I didn't really know what I wanted. I knew what everyone around me was doing. And then once I found myself in a relationship that I was like truly like legally committed to, I had no idea how to like voice what was going on for me. And then also, you know, my ex-husband kind of negatively reinforced anytime I tried to do that. So it was just like, there is some maturity that comes along with, you know, some of it's about maturity, but some of it's about like getting some tools to use to learn how to, how to advocate for myself and and figure out what I wanted. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Actually, you're very open about your road to recovery. And Mm -hmm. I want to know what role that had to play with you coming to these realizations of Mm -hmm. your own patterning and the decisions that you were making. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, if you don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol, then you don't need to get sober in order to do this work. But for me, you know, I'm a sober woman. I'm a recovering alcoholic in, you know, in sobriety. I've been sober for eight years now and I wouldn't even had a shot of getting to this stuff if I hadn't gotten sober first. So, you know, for me, um, I do have two alcoholic parents and that is like one of those things where for some people, for those of us, some of us struggle to figure out whether or not we really are alcoholic. And it would just be so convenient if that was like, well, your parents are alcoholic, so you're alcoholic too. But that's like not the truth, right? There are plenty of people out there who have alcoholic parents who have a totally normal relationship with alcohol, but like, I'm not one of them. So (laughs) (laughs) it's unfortunate. It took what it took, you know? Um, But so my mom actually uh, had a drug overdose that almost killed her. And she is over 20 years sober today. And my dad actually died from his alcoholism. He drank himself to death about 10 years after my mom got sober. And having watched that happen, I really, it kept me from getting sober for a long time because I compared my drinking to my dad's drinking, which really was, he truly was, um, a maintenance drinker, what you kind of like, what you think of when you think of an alcoholic, he drank, he had to drink around the clock so that he didn't have seizures and get sick. And like, that was how he ended up drinking himself to death. So my drinking didn't look like that because I was like going to get my master's degree and in a marriage. And like, I tech, I like had all these things, but what was happening for me is I was like dying on the inside, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and when I'm really honest about the way I drink, I can, I can acknowledge that like, once I start drinking, I just like never want to stop. Like, I don't know why, I don't know why once the bar closes, we don't like go to 7-Eleven and like get more things to drink or like why we don't go to a strip club. That's open. like, I just, I don't understand why we stop once we've started. Yeah. And what I've come to acknowledge is that like, for me, 
I really can't stay stopped on my own. Like for years I tried to do like dry January or like not just like, Oh, I'm just going to detox in January. And like, I never actually made it the full 31 days. I would always get to day 30 once. One time I got to day 30. (laughs) One time I got to day 30 and then on day 31, I drank for like to reward myself because I had made it 30 days. So anyway, I had to get sober first to get the mental clarity that was required for me to even actually feel my feelings around what was good for me in, in my relationships with men and what wasn't good for me. And then to do this work, the subsequent work that I did in this book, I I had to be sober to do that. There's no way that I could have had the um, self-awareness or the willingness that would required a lot of discipline. Uveda has one simple vision. They want to create a healthier and happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Uveda believes in the ancient principles of Ayurveda and want to bring them to you in a modern and easy way. They created innovative and full support supplements that contain only the best, highest quality organic and wild harvested ingredients. And now they have just introduced a brand new essential oils line to go with your health journey. One of my favorite essential oils is the immunity. Aromatherapy can help boost your immune system by providing your body the strength to heal and the support it so desperately needs. The doctors over at Uveda recommend to pair the essential oil with the My Healthy Immunity Supplement Kit in order to help strengthen your immune system to the fullest. For me, it is a non-negotiable as I travel all the time and I'm trying to take care of my health. For more information, go to uveda.com and don't forget to use the promo code ROSIE to get a special discount on your next order. And now back to our show. How much do you think our own self-worth is wrapped around the decisions that we make in dating people? (laughs) I mean, so much of uh, what I put up with was related to a lack of self-worth. So, um, you know, I, for a long time, compromised. One of the examples I give in the book is that um, at, in my early 20s, I found myself um, at the University of Pittsburgh and living in a house with 10 of my sorority sisters. And it was like, oh my gosh, one of those places where it was like, it was really only like maybe a four bedroom house, but 12 of us lived there and they're like two bedroom, you know, we just like smashed as many people into it as we could. So our rent would be as cheap as possible. But these women that I lived with were like so, um, in, they were so tiny. They were all really tiny. I lived with probably 10 women who were all size double zero or zero or two. And I was a size 12, 14, 16, you know, really depended on that, you know, and it was like, Oh my God, these people are so tiny. Now I was really wrapped up in my size and I was also wrapped up in a lot of other stuff that kept me from seeing that they also had their own set of shit to walk through. You know, like all of those women have walked through fire and been transformed into the women they are today. But I couldn't see that at the time. And at the time it felt to me like they lived their lives without consequence. Like there was really nothing that like a crop top and some batted eyelids couldn't get them out of, you know? And I just felt like, oh my God. So I didn't know how to be among them because I was so unsure of who I was and what I felt like and um, had such a, a lack of self-worth. So what I would often do was just like try to be the cool girl, you know, and it meant that like my feathers could never be ruffled because I was bigger than them. And like it, it, to me, it felt like at that time that like my size didn't allow me to have feelings. So like, I wasn't able to like throw a temper tantrum. I didn't feel like I could ever be late. And so I found myself just being this cool girl in the house 
willing to put up with whatever, hanging out with all their boyfriends while they got ready, you know, talking sports, drinking beers, just trying to do whatever to be cool Mm. um, instead of being my true self. And like, honestly, that cool girl syndrome was so painful. It was like death by a thousand paper cuts, you know, just like really losing myself. And the the place that I started from was just like having no self-worth in the first place and just drifting further and further away and just trying to be like less and less connected to my feelings. It took me to like some really dark places. Yeah. That's it's wow. It's so raw and honest. And I think it's something that a lot of women go through in silence. They don't share Mm. because saying that somebody is struggling with their self-esteem or confidence is something that's extremely confronting and scary. And Mm. I think that the biggest critic is always going to live inside our heads. Oh yeah. Ruthless to ourselves. Right. Right? Yeah. It's, it's so intense. And I, I find that obviously all of that is tied into the decisions that we make with the people that we're with or the people Mm. that we, we spend our time with, you know, we're an absolute, we talked about this over the weekend, you know, at a Mm -hmm. workshop that we are a product of our environment, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are a product of what we are around. And if you're around people that aren't supporting Mm. your highest good and they want you to fit the role of the friend that's always partying Mm -hmm. and saying yes to everything and is going to be down for whatever, you are going to live up to those expectations unless you, you are have the awareness and mindfulness enough around really listening to what you want and what Mm. you are here to do, which is really hard to do sometimes. Yeah. I mean, at that stage in my early twenties, there was just no way that I could have, that I, there's no, looking back, I don't think there was a way that I could have accessed it. And I do believe that like, I would have had the journey that I had through self-worth and um, through my partner choices in my twenties, whether I lived with those 11 women or a different set of 11 women. Like I had a journey that I had to go on at that stage. It didn't really matter like who the supporting players were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What was the biggest lesson you learned in a relationship and who was a relationship mm-hmm. with? I mean, you don't have to say the name. Obviously, Gosh, that's interesting. I feel like, well, honestly, to be totally honest, this is like such a cheesy answer, but I learned the most lessons with my husband now. Um, because, you know, I have had to learn to like trust that, you know, I've had to learn to trust that our relationship is resilient. I have some big abandonment stuff. And so I really, the biggest lesson for me is learning to come to the table, being willing to come to my husband, his name's Jeff, being willing to come to him and say like, Oh God. Okay. Jealousy is the hardest feeling for me. I hate, I I just like, I hate feeling jealous. It's like such a loaded feeling. It's like, can we just all acknowledge like totally jealous? A hundred percent. It's the it worst. Sucks. It's the yeah, worst. I don't like, like it. Cause first of all, Oh, I just kicked this little stand. First of all, you already feel jealous. So like that feels shitty. And then on top of it, it's like, Oh God, everyone knows that jealousy is like, Oh, you're green with envy. Oh, it's like, so there's like a shame. Com- it's like a one, two shame combo. You right. Know? It's almost it's like, like a compounded. Yes. Feeling. Like anytime you feel jealousy, it's not just jealousy. It's like five, <sighs> five different. I know. Oh my God. It's so hard to like pick out which ones they are. So, um, you know, so there are a couple, oh my God, there's so many things I could say about this, but I really learned the most about relationships by being in relationship with a man who is available and who's willing to do some work with me and like hold space for me around the fact that like, sometimes I have to come to him and say like, 
listen, he's a sober alcoholic too, right? So sometimes he'll be talking to somebody at a meeting or like somewhere. This is like the most low level jealousy I can think of, but it still makes me jealous. And I have to come over to him and be like, you know, I don't like that I feel this way, but I feel jealous right now. And it's honestly the only way I can even, I am, I have like a little bit of emotional stuntedness around identifying my feelings. So like, I have to even just say like, I don't like that I feel this way. Like, I love that someday I can probably get to a place where I'll just be able to say, I'm jealous. I felt threatened by that. Can you not do that? But right now it's like, I don't like that I feel this way, but I have to tell you that I'm feeling threatened or that I'm feeling jealous about this or whatever. And, um, and so learning how to trust the, the resilience of our relationship and to just like come to it and surface with my feelings, um, has been one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. But, you know, I would say outside of my marriage, um, my current marriage, the biggest lessons, one of the most interesting lessons I learned was I took a break from dating in order to do the work that I wrote about in the book. And I really only did that because I thought it was going to take me like 30 days to do all this work, but it actually took me a year because some are, some are quicker than, I mean, I don't know because I'm stubborn and whatever. It took me a long ass time. And so after a year, I was really excited to go back to dating. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I learned all this stuff about myself and I have all my patterns and I've got my girl gang built and like, people are going to hold me accountable and I'm not going to make these same mistakes again. And like, what did I do? I went out the very first guy I went on a date with was completely emotionally unavailable with like got blackout drunk on our date. And then I took him home with me and I woke up the next morning, like, Oh my God, how, how did I just do this? I just did an entire year of work around this and I did the same thing. But what happened was I started to recover from that stuff faster. I started to identify the patterns faster. So that morning I woke up mortified and I called my girlfriend who'd taken me through this work. And she's like, look, this guy, let's talk this out. Which are, what are the ways, what's going on with this guy? And when I was talking to her about him, she's like, oh, that sounds like he's emotionally unavailable. He, he's just out of a recent breakup. He's living with his parents. Like, it doesn't sound like he's really in a space to be in a relationship. And I was like, you know what? That's it. So she's like, why don't you just like set him aside? Why don't you just not call him? You know, because of course, like I feel so crazy. I want to call him and make sure that he knows that I know that, you know, whatever. So she's like, why don't you just set him aside and not call him? And I was able to take that advice and I set him aside. I didn't call him. And of course, for a couple of days, I thought about it but by the end of the week, I'd forgotten about it. And so in a seven day period, I was able to move on from this like kind of dating disaster. And in a previous life before having done all this work, it would have taken me like six months. I would have wasted six months chasing that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. So mm -hmm. I started to find like, I had this expectation when I came out of doing all this work that like I was going to find a totally different guy. And the reality was I found a lot of the same guys, but I was able to identify their unavailability faster. And I was able to move on to the next person faster yeah. and kind of recover from these dating, I'm using air quotes, these dating failures faster yeah. in order to get to a place where I could finally find someone who was actually emotionally available and ready to be in a relationship. Yeah. And how do you recognize that emotional availability that you were oh, looking for? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think it's actually easier to uh, identify when somebody is not emotionally available mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> than it is to say, to say. Is to say like this, you're looking for this, this, and this. But I will say, I think that emotional availability comes with a level of maturity um, 
to the extent that at this stage, like, I don't know how old, you know, I'm 39, right? So, and I was dating when I was, the last time I was dating, I was 34, 34, 35, somewhere in there. So it's like by my mid thirties, by all of, I think we can just, I think this is a good blanket statement. By your mid thirties, like everyone's been through some shit, right? You like, maybe you had a bankruptcy, maybe you've been divorced, maybe you had some trauma, maybe you had like some family stuff. Like, I think everybody by their mid thirties has some kind of baggage that they're coming to the table. Thoroughly with. traumatized. Yeah. Thoroughly traumatized. <laughs> Thoroughly traumatized. Continue. So, so I feel like, so I feel like one way to know if someone's emotionally available is if they can come to the table and, you know, have a conversation with you about what's going on for them. And they've done some work around it. You know, like I give a pretty extreme example in my book, but one example of unavailability would be like, you go on a guy, you go on a date with a guy or whoever, and it's your first date. And all they do is talk about how mad they are that their stepdad's such a dick and their mom, they can't believe their mom remarried him and blah, blah, blah. And they're like 40, you know, like if you have this thing going on from the time you were a little kid and you haven't taken the time to look at it, like you're not emotional, that guy's not emotionally available. Does that make sense? Yeah. A hundred percent. So, um, there is some level of like, I think emotional maturity and like, um, that comes along with being emotionally available. Um, and then I also do kind of have a strong sense around divorce. So I do not think that anyone, it's just my, this is my opinion. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has them. You can take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. But like, I really feel like if you are divorced, it takes about a year to become truly emotionally available post-divorce. Mm, that's why you say that because well first of all like nobody who has a, an amazing marriage and great communication skills gets divorced right right i mean i mean usually like you you got to figure out what got your ass divorced it's gonna take a minute to like to like work through it i had to figure out what got my ass divorced I, it's it took me more than a year yeah right? no uh, totally valid <laughs> So sometimes I have girlfriends that are dating guys like, oh, he's separated or, oh, he's divorced. The, the papers were signed last month. Like, girl, he's not available. Right. He's not. I'm right. sorry. He's not. So. Yeah. I mean, you also work with uh, clients, you're a coach. What is the, the main thing that you find? I'm going to speak to women in particular. Mm -hmm. um, what is the one thing that you find that is the biggest obstacle that stands in our way of finding our soulmate. Oh my God. This is, a, I thought this was going to be hard, but the second you started asking it, I know what it is. It's like this, all these wrong partners, they get in the way. So it's like, listen, I guess I just feel like, how can I say this? You already know all you need to know about that guy that makes you crazy. That's ghosting you. And then coming back. That's, that's like playing you. You know what I mean? And like so many women give that guy a second chance. So many women give that guy their time and attention. Here's the deal. Like time is our most valuable asset and we have whatever amount of it we have. And it's like, I like to encourage women to think of dating as like information gathering, right? You like go on a date with someone, you get some information, you assess whether or not you'd be compatible. And then you go out again, you get more information, you get to reassess. So the beautiful thing is you always get to change your mind you, at any stage in this experience. You can go, look, I got some new information and that me, and I assessed it. And like, I don't think we're good for each other. So we're done. But there are so many women who will get the information that like, 
oh, I don't know, the guy's seeing somebody else or that you're his side piece or, you know, whatever. And then we'll live in the denial of that and pretend like they don't have enough information and just invest more and more time in a man that's unavailable. That it's like, girl, you know, you have the information you need. You already know that this guy is not available in any number of ways, right? He already treated you bad or he already, you know, canceled on a date and like flaked on you. Like, I don't have much tolerance for flaking, you know? Like everybody's time is valuable. So like, if you're going to flake, like we're done, I have all the information I need. So I often think that it kind of actually circles back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, that as women, we kind of are conditioned to give everyone a second chance and to be like really understanding. And it's like, we don't need to be given all these second chances. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so true. I mean, and truly for everybody that's listening, Heidi really does give a very thorough template of all of these things. And it, you learn so much about her story. And I think there's some just great information in there for anybody out there who is in a state of being tired, mm, <laughs> tired frustrated, frustrated doing mm-hmm. things that, that aren't working. So I, I do want to be respectful of your time. And <gasps> I know, are we, are we done crazy. already? Yeah. This is oh like, God. this is, this is life. This is what happens. Time flies when you're having fun. Oh my God, that was you. amazing. Thank you right? so much. I know. Hold on. I can't let you go. You gotta like, you know, tell everybody where they can come and stalk you. Like, yeah. So for the people that are listening, where can they go for more information and where can they buy the book? Yes. Okay. So the best place to catch up with me is on Instagram. On Instagram, I'm at honeybee52, but not like B-E-E, just the letter B, H-O-N-E-Y-B. 52. Um, that probably made it more complicated than it was already. We'll put Um, the link. Don't worry about it. (laughs) And then, uh, you can find me on Facebook as well at Facebook, Heidi Bushy. And then, uh, you can check out my website, which is probably the best way to buy the book. Um, so that is www.heidibcoaching.com. there is a link to the book there. There's also a link to the online course. So if you want to take the course, um, I've created a workshop which I do in person in Portland, but if you want to do it um, on your own time, it's like such a private matter. I'm discovering like a lot of people just want to be able to do it in the comfort of their own home. There's a five module workshop course, uh, five module online course that you can buy on the website as well. Cool. And for those of you that are listening to this on whatever platform you're listening to uh, our podcast on, if you go to the info button, all of those links that Heidi just mentioned will be on there. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you go down into the description section, all of those links will be there. And, uh, yeah, please do follow Heidi, listen to her podcast, which is out now as well. Uh (laughs) Well, I mean, by the time people are watching this and listening, it'll, it'll be out. So that's true. So yes, very exciting. Okay. My final question to you is regarding this particular podcast. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know, I Mm -hmm. ask all of my guests and it's about this idea that we are all radically loved and supported by God, universe source, whatever higher Mm -hmm. power of your understanding. And so the final question to you is how do you feel radically loved? Oh, I love, I thought about this because I listened to the show. So I took a minute to think about it. And I think this is the right answer for me. I feel radically loved because the reality is like, I didn't do anything to deserve the life that I have other than show up to it authentically every day, you know, other than like take little, little steps here and there, little actions. Um, and like the universe just unfolded this beautiful life around me. And I feel so grateful that I get to just like be in it on the bad days, be in it on the good days. Like 
I just know that that is how I know I'm radically loved. Heidi, thank you so much. I, I truly am so grateful for you that our paths crossed and I am honored to share you with our community and with our listeners because I feel like what you're putting out in the world has so much value and there's so many women out there that are searching for the right type of support and I know that you really are living your dharma and your purpose and I just want to thank you for that and thank you for sharing your your knowledge your wisdom with us and i'm i'm so excited to continue to follow your journey and i hope that you continue to allow us to support you in anything that you do oh my gosh thank you so much this was such a pleasure yay hey everyone i hope you enjoyed this episode i am so excited to continue to do this please share this with your friends Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.